Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Encero, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. 2020 is the journal's 25th anniversary. The August issue will feature as part of our year-long Q&A series an interview with Dr. Mandy K. Cohen, the North Carolina Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Cohen, an internist, was appointed to the role in January 2017 by Governor Roy Cooper and was previously the Chief Operating Officer and Chief of Staff at CMS. Earlier this month, at the start of July, Governor Cooper signed into law a plan to transform the state's Medicaid program from fee-for-service to managed care. Dr. Cohen, hailed by many for championing a shift in thinking from buying health care to buying health through whole person care, talked with us as the coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic continued to worsen across many parts of the United States and as public health experts found themselves under attack for making science-based recommendations. Today, we are airing a short excerpt of the upcoming interview, which you can read in a few weeks on AJMC.com and in the August issue of the American Journal of Managed Care. We have been working on our managed care implementation for a number of years, and I think that we've gotten some national recognition for trying to use this opportunity moment of change for our Medicaid program and think through how can we layer on uh, the kinds of new innovations that I think can uh, propel the Medicaid program forward. So one of them is about investing in primary care, value-based payment model, but also importantly, connecting people to care through the integration of social, physical, and behavioral health, so that payer alignment to get to some of the things that are outside of the traditional medical sphere. And to um, looking at those social determinants of health, your department picked five domains, correct? Housing, which you mentioned, food, which you mentioned, Um, And is it also transportation, employment, and what you call interpersonal safety, toxic stress? Correct, correct. So I was thinking, given what we've seen the past um, couple of months in discussions around building racial equity in healthcare and other social areas in the wake of the Minneapolis killing, can you describe some like real world examples of how connections would be made in a medical setting and helping with interpersonal safety and talk stress? Sure. Well, that is that is some of the work that, is, like I said, doesn't need to wait for managed care. Managed right. care is just a mechanism for payment. What we want to do is make sure that we're paying for the things that actually drive people's health. Um, and we can do that right now, and we are. We're integrating that into the work that we are doing to respond and recover from COVID-19. So one of the examples of that is is this um, investment from the state as well as the private sector in this statewide shared tool, NC Care 360, um, that helps us pair people with the kinds of resources they may need. And we are particularly wanting to target uh, resources, and as we build up our resources, um, into our historically marginalized population. Um, we know that COVID-19 has hit our Latinx, Hispanic, as well as our African-American communities very hard, and we 
we are, are working hard to invest in that. So as we have been able to get some additional dollars from the federal and the state government to assist with response and recovery, we are very much targeting that to community-based organizations that we can then link into our NC Care 360 network so that we can get a whole spectrum of, of um, coordination um, as we do uh, this work to respond, whether someone needs transportation to, to get testing for COVID or whether they need isolation supports and they need some stable housing in order to be able to stay isolated or they need food food delivered while they are quarantined. So we have a, a mechanism to now coordinate those activities as well as the new funds from the federal and the state government to respond to this to help um, with some of those isolation support resources. I've been thinking about the attacks that public health officials have been under, uh, you know, your colleagues and other states have resigned, smaller towns have seen their health officials being forced to resign in the wake of threats and that sort of thing. And then, of course, on a national level, there have been attacks made on public health experts. What words of advice do you have for public health staffers across the country who are working in this area right now in a situation that's kind of unprecedented? Well, I would say that this is the hardest thing that I have done professionally, and this work is hard, it is relentless, it, it is a crisis, and it feels like that every day. Um, and so what I would say first and foremost is thank you to all of those other leaders who are doing the hard work. I would say stay true to the science, be a leader, uh, stay the, the course of, of trying to understand the science and adjust to that. Um, don't, uh, you know, always be in a learning mode that we could have new evidence, new data, new technology, new medicines at any moment, which is wonderful, um, and to incorporate that into our thinking as we go forward. Um, and to just hang in there um, and say, like, this too shall pass. Um, we will get through this. I think if we pull together as a country for some, and, and follow the evidence-based guidelines of what we should do to slow the spread of this virus, we can get through this. But it's going to take all of us, not just those health, public health leaders, but leaders from every industry, um, business leaders, entertainment leaders, sports leaders, all of the government leaders um, and other um, you know, elected officials and not, to pull together. And if we want to defeat the common enemy, which is this virus, the enemy is not each other. It is not the people here. And we, we may all have different feelings about you know, how strong we should be on certain things, but the, the enemy is the virus. And let's, let's focus our attention on defeating that enemy together. Well, thank you so much for taking the time um, in the middle of your crazy day, I'm sure, to speak with me. I really appreciate it. No problem. I haven't talked about managed care in a long time. <laughs> is there any... So happy to talk about something that's not COVID. Is there anything else you want to say about managed care, or is there anything left undone, in, you know, in terms of your idea of buying health and not buying health care? Well, I would say there's a lot of work to do. I think it's the only other thing that I would mention is that we are learning lessons now as we are responding to COVID that we're going to need to incorporate as we move to managed care. Two things come to mind in particular is that as I have watched COVID-19 have such a disproportionate impact, again, on the Latinx and our African-American community, I think as we transition to managed care, you're going to see more from North Carolina around addressing health disparities in order to not just combat the pandemic, but to really have a rethink about how are we delivering on access to care 
for our historically marginalized communities. And so I think you're going to see more of a focus from us on that. I think you'll still see a continued um, focus on integrating physical behavior and, and social health as we move forward. Um, and again, this is because to respond to COVID, it's not just about care, right? It, or I should say medical care. It is about that holistic picture of health. You can't just think about hospital and ICU care. It, it, most people are going to be at home recovering from COVID and how do we support them at home with food or transportation to medical appointments or making sure that there's worker protection so their job is there for them when they when their health recovers. So I think you're going to continue to see and I think this is just even showing more the cracks of needing to do even more in that space. And then the last that I would add is about about data. Mm-hmm. Data has been so critical to help us shape our, our policy decisions. And, and look, the data is not always perfect and, in fact, can be quite um, challenging. Um, we have a very decentralized both healthcare system and human services system. So gathering that data in a way that allows for actionable, uh, scalable decisions is really hard. I think that you're going to see more from us on how do we create that infrastructure to allow for data to uh, be shared and be captured to allow for coordinated response efforts, whether it's to a crisis or to implement, um, you know, improvements in, you know, in the Medicaid program. So I I think that's going to also be another theme that, that you will see from us. Speaking of the data piece, since you mentioned it, do you have any concerns about the hospitals in your state changing how they report their information to HHS instead of the CDC? Like, will that have a real impact on what you do? So, you know, look, I think there, I think it was, there was a lot of confusion yesterday when that got rolled out. Right. Because like, what's happening? Um, but I actually think in the end, consolidating the number of databases that our hospitals need to report to is a good thing. I think the, the issue was, is understanding what fields, what parameter, how do they want everyone to to submit the data in a, in a standardized way? And so there's just a lot of confusion. There are also a lot of new data elements because that data translates into resources that our state will get, for example, like remdesivir mm-hmm. and getting an, our allocation of remdesivir is very much dependent on that information submitted. And the way things got rolled out yesterday caused a lot of confusion. We're we're sorting it through. I think it will be ultimately fine. Like I said, I think consolidating how we're reporting is fine. I think it's just we just need to understand how decisions are getting made, what what is the clear guidance of what do our hospitals need to do. I think our hospitals continue to report to our state directly in addition to the federal government, so it really doesn't change our reporting, but we work so closely with them. We, we want to make sure this goes as smoothly as possible, obviously, as we think about something like a, a, a finite resource like remdesivir for our whole state, obviously getting good data in so we can get that resource is really critical. Well, thank you again, and um, I hope you and your family stay safe. Thank you. Same to you. Good oh. to talk to you. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. To read more of our 25th anniversary interviews, visit ajmc.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at ajmc.com or follow us on Twitter at ajmc underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.